Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to the Texans Packers postgame show. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, I think we can sum up the year 2020 with the phrase, the Texans try to run David Johnson up the middle. Oh no! Uh, you know, you know what I was thinking, Robert, and and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later. But uh, if if the Texans, you know, they've been rumored to make some trades, and if they traded David Johnson, would we be playing taps because you would no longer be saying David Johnson runs on first down? So I'm I was kind of with you on that, a little little bit different, but same result, and and the same result still goes. You keep running David Johnson on first down. You run him on second down. It doesn't matter what down you run him. He just isn't the, the running game. Just isn't getting going. It's pure and simple. Yeah, I, I, our only hope is that Bill O'Brien gets another job. That's the only way you're going to get David Johnson uh, off the Texans roster outside of cutting him outright. But you know, I, I just want to start off by saying, you know, just when you think the Texans can't embarrass themselves anymore, they exceed our expectations. And, and you know, Stephen, the Texans. They're really the epitome, the perfect encapsulation of 2020 because Bill O'Brien is like this virus that everyone hopes is gone as soon as the year is over. But no, we'll be living with this nightmare, (laughs) this complete and total dumpster fire, the remnants of all of it for years to come. Yeah, it's almost as if, you know, when he leaves, the virus is still there. Yeah, you still feel the effects of it, just like everything else. And a case in point. It was late in the game, and yeah, I know, the Texans probably weren't going to come back and win, but they were at least going to try to make it interesting. And Watson completes a pass to Cooks. It's going to be a first down, but guess what? The highly paid offensive left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, has an offensive holding, kills the drive pretty much. You know, Watson scrambles just shy of the first down, and then on fourth and one, Watson has the ball, and he slips. He has stopped and the Texans turn the ball over, and then the Packers score again and make it 35-13, to 13 and pretty much, you know, yeah, they, they tried to make it interesting, but it's just one of the many, many things that the, the Texans just can't do anything right this season. You know, that was Laramie Tunsil's first penalty of the entire season after all the penalties from last year. Yeah, go figure. I guess he has gotten better at that, but boy, did it ever come at just, they always, I mean, I guess penalties never come at the right time, but certainly... Not at the right time when you're trying to mount a drive. Because if you had scored, then you would have, if, if you go for two, you make it a 28-21 game, or at the very least, 28-19, 28-20. You've still got a chance. But once that happened and the Packers scored, yeah, it was pretty much the game. Yeah, he's the first penalty of the season for him. He gets the holding call. They get the fourth and one. And then Tim Kelly draws up that terrible option pitch play, which was a total failure at the goal line. A couple of weeks ago, we all remember what happened there, the fumble. But, you know, Deshaun, I, I want to talk about Deshaun there because he, he makes the terrible decision not to pitch the ball. I, I don't know why he didn't pitch the ball because the guy came right at him. He was right next to him. He knew he was going to get tackled immediately, or at least you would have thought he knew that. But the other thing about Deshaun, and this is really getting frustrating for me with him, he also wastes about 40 seconds off the clock prior to fourth down. And one thing that never changes is Deshaun's lack of urgency when the Texans are down a couple of scores in the fourth quarter. There are a lot of things to love about Deshaun, and I love a lot of things about Deshaun like everybody else, but 
that part of his game gets old and it reeks of a guy who may never be a big time winner. He's been a quarterback for a decade of his life, Stephen. This this can't happen anymore. It can't. No, it certainly can't. And I think what you may be referring to is, you know, late in the game again, the Texans get the ball and the first two plays are running plays to David Johnson. I, I believe it was midway in the fourth quarter. Yeah, there, there might have been, I think, nine minutes left and the Texans. Well, I put that on the, on Tim Kelly because he didn't call the plays, obviously. Deshaun didn't call the plays, but it's not right. It's not just it's not the play calling. That's that's an issue, too. But Deshaun, I'm just get, I'm tired of Deshaun walking to the line, and you know you've got eight nine minutes left on the clock. Pick any game, any game that they're down by two scores, and Deshaun sits there and he's got to survey the defense and he's got to call everything out. Meantime, it's tick 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 tick. The clock's going. Away. Tom Brady understands time and situation. Deshaun Watson doesn't get it. No, apparently not. And I could probably count on one hand the number of times the Texans have had a, a no huddle offense this whole season. Now, obviously, they've been behind a lot and then they probably should have done it more. But it does seem that when they're in the quick huddle, they tend to do a little better, but they just don't seem to use it very much. And regarding decision making, maybe Deshaun needs to to really watch film of Aaron Rodgers and how he handles himself when he's about to be sacked. He knows when to throw the ball away. He knows when to take off. He just, he knows. Obviously, he's got the experience, but he's got the smarts too. And Deshaun, as as many years as he's been in the league now, it's been more than enough time for him to figure that out. And we still see it. Maybe not all the sacks were his fault, but some of them were today. Right. And the offensive line, I, I got to get to them because, you know, first drive, they have a three and out. It's third and one. The offensive line gets pushed back about three yards into the backfield on, on a Duke Johnson run. A Duke Johnson didn't exactly do a good job of picking the hole correctly. But Zach Fulton and Nick Martin, they are just pushed back. They're terrible. I'm going to get to those two guys in a bit. But, you know, the problem with the run is it's a couple of things. David Johnson stinks. And, and I mean, we don't have to go too much into David Johnson to know uh, where we are with him. But it's also this offensive line that is good, I think, in, in passing situations for the most part. I think they've done a decent job. Laramie Tunsil has been one of the best in the league, despite, you know, everybody talking about, you know, what they gave up to get him. He he is one of the best in the league at at pass blocking. He's, I mean, as the pro football focus numbers, that's what they're saying. And whether you agree with pro football focus or not, if they're saying he's the best in the league, he's at least got to be in the top two or three tackles in the league. But the Texans, they they just don't get off to good start, Stephen. And we talk about this every week. They've got five opening drive, three and outs in seven games. Yeah, and then they get 21 to nothing. I mean, you just you can't keep playing these games with lackluster first halves and then trying to make a game of it in the second half. You're just you're not going to win very many games that way. And, you know, we, we can put some of the run blocking on the offensive line as, as to why the running game is not there. You're talking about David Johnson. It's just... Even when he's got the holes, Robert, he's not finding them. He's not getting through them. And then he gets he gets they get clogged up and he gets tackled. He's he's excellent coming out of the backfield and catching the ball. But if that's all you're going to use him for, uh, you know, Duke Johnson could do that pretty well too. It just it, he's a very one dimensional. I can't even call him a back if you're going to do that. It's more of a receiver. So it's it's a little bit of both. But either way, the fact that the Texans just cannot get a running game going. It just puts even more pressure on Deshaun 
to make the passing game shine. Yeah, David Johnson, really, he's a third down back playing a three down type D. I mean, he's not somebody that's going to break anything as far as offensively. Usually he's not going to run anybody over. He's just a guy and he's maybe a third down guy at best. And then, you know, after the first drive, you know, one first down and punt, one first down and punt. So, you know, three first downs on the first three drives for the Texans. And again, they they can't get off the good starts in games uh, this year. And then Fairbairn on the fourth drive misses a 41-yard field goal. Uh, and, and we'll get back to Fairbairn. I want to get back to him, too. But it was a Nick Mark, Martin holding call that kills that drive. We talked already about the Laramie Tunsil play on defense. Let's go to defense because first drive, you stop them. It would have been three and out. It, it had been over with, and and you get the ball back immediately. But instead, on a merciless sack, so merciless does his job. He gets the sack, but Eric Murray, uh, the safety, gets called with a hands to the face. That continues the drive. It turns into ten plays, seventy five yards. And one thing that you know we haven't seen this year a, a ton is is the penalties. That that hasn't been their bugaboo, Stephen. But this this year it's it's starting to. I mean, this game it started to bite them finally. Well, yeah, go figure. I mean, it's like you you try to get rid of one problem and then another one crops up. And in this case, it was the penalties. Now, you know, with the with the defense, I, I mean, they, they certainly didn't play well. They, they have a hard time stopping average quarterbacks. They certainly weren't going to stop Aaron Rodgers. You know, you look at the stats of the running game. Of course, their best running back was out. They had Williams in there and he only had 77 yards, but he did a lot of it. He, he caught some passes that Aaron Rodgers threw him. So even though the Texans certainly did better than their run defense has been in previous weeks, they still didn't make the plays they needed to make. And, uh, of course, you know, the injuries at cornerback and just there's all kinds of things we can point to. But the bottom line is the defense still didn't play well enough to really even be close. 35 to 20, it, it sounds closer than the game to me really was, Robert. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was. And. You know, I said I wanted to get back to to Nick Martin and the and the offensive line, and I, I made a a short list of Texans that should not be on the roster next year, and most of these guys shouldn't be on the roster because they're just bad money. You're throwing bad money, and you know it's, it's not going to be a surprise when I read off some of these names. Nick Martin, he's going to cost you two point five million dollars in dead cap money uh, next year if you if you cut him, but do it. You know, Zach Fulton. $750,000 in dead cap money. I get rid of both of those guys because they're just guys and you're paying them way too much money next year to be just guys. I don't consider them the future of a good offensive line. You know, David Johnson, that's $2.1 million in dead cap money that you're going to have to suck up next year. But obviously he's gone. I mean, I'm fine with getting rid of him right now. I don't know what the point of just running him out there every single game just because they made a trade for him. The guy that made the trade for him is gone. So you're going to keep running David Johnson out there. Um, I mean, maybe he's still on the team, but just play somebody else. I mean, give Buddy Howell a shot. I mean, he blocked a punt in this game. Uh, I'd like to see him get a shot because at least he showed a little bit more juice. I remember the big play that he had late last year. Um, also, who needs to be gone? Uh, Vernon Hargraves. Ugh, terrible. Kiki QT. Um, he's, you know, inactive every week and, you know, we know about the Kiki QT experience. And then I say this every week, Stephen, why again is DeAndre Carter on the roster? 
<laughs> is he on the roster? <laughs> <laughs> he is still there. Yeah, he is still there, Robert. I'm sorry to tell you. I know you, you're hoping to wake up from this dream that DeAndre Carter is still with the Texans and, and that he's gone, but I'm afraid one more week, I've got to tell you, he's still there. The question, I, I, I agree with all those names you said, Robert. There, there's no question. There, there's really no argument there. But now the question becomes, who do you replace those guys with? Anybody. Anybody. <laughs> who, who do you who do you replace? You know, especially with who do you replace Hargraves with when you've got Roby out now and, and Conley hasn't played. I don't think he's played at all this season because of that ankle. You know, you've got depth questions there. And, and some of these guys, you know, as you said, getting paid the big money. What team? I mean, forget about trying to trade some of those. Who's, what team is going to take those guys? with that kind of contract. So what are you going to get for him? But yeah, I'm not saying you're going to get anything for these guys. I'm not saying to uh, either that you cut them in the middle of this year. Some of them you're just stuck with. I mean, I would, you know, you know, my feeling on Deandre Carter and Kiki QT, those guys could go right now. I'm just saying at the end of the year, they should be gone. And I'm I'm especially referring to guys like Bernardrick McKinney, uh, you know, who's just, it's bad money. Tyrell Adams has done, Bernardrick McKinney's job just fine for a lot cheaper. Nick Martin, Zach Fulton. Yes. I mean, these guys, you can find guys in the offseason. You should be able to find guys to take their place a lot cheaper. I mean, you're you're gonna have so many holes to to fill up in a draft where you don't have any guys to to begin with that, you know, I don't know, but a guy like a Nick Martin or a Zach Fulton, they're gonna have fourth and fifth round picks in this draft. Get them with that, those picks if you can. And then, you know, you've also got the bad contracts that you're just stuck with. And this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, Stephen, is this nightmare will continue for years and years to come because Whitney Merciless, if you try to get rid of him, it's $15 million in dead cap next year. Randall Cobb, $12.25 million in dead cap. And at least he's contributing at this point. And so is Whitney Merciless. But boy, what bad money that is that you're just wasting, that you're just going to throw away for the next few years. You got Eric Murray, who I just mentioned his penalty. Uh, Stephen, we haven't even talked about him. He's owed $6.5 million in dead cap next year. You, he's a guy that nobody talks about, but that was another terrible contract. And Kaimi Fairbairn, who's just another kicker, you know, he's not, he's not good. $4.25 million if you wanted to get rid of him next year. He, he's your kicker, and you owe him $4.25 million in dead cap. It's just terrible. Well, getting back to Eric Murray, Robert, the problem, you, you just stated what the problem is. We're not hearing enough about Eric Murray because he's not making enough plays and earning that money. So <laughs> that's a big problem there. And going back to the, all those names that you just talked about, it, it actually led to something that I wanted to bring up and ask you, and especially from a defensive standpoint. Is it about time to start letting some of these rookies play more? The Ross Blacklocks, the the Jonathan Grenard, the John Reeds, these guys that we – I mean, I don't even know what, what some of these guys are doing because we haven't seen them on the field. But, I, I mean, if you drafted them and your season is pretty much a wash, you're one and six, you know, is it when is it, when is it time to, to put some of these guys out there and just see what you have? I agree. I, I don't know if you got anything, but Grenard and Blacklock, I mean, definitely need to be getting – you know, they more snaps. Uh, some of them need to get getting snaps, period. John Reed was inactive. Uh, Coulter, who's been, uh, he's basically out, but they can bring him back, I think, at some point this year. 
and and Romeo was indicating this week that he might be ready pretty soon, the wide receiver. I don't know where he fits in because you do have wide receivers that are at least giving you something and you're paying a lot of money for those guys. So I don't know what you do with Coulter. You got a guy like Heck, the tackle, which, you know, I, I would love to see, you know, there's the word is that he's not really a good NFL tackle, but, you know, maybe he could be a guard, you know, give him Fulton's position or something, you know, let's see what he's got. But I mean, that that's what you can do this year. Cause I mean, Romeo talked about it this week, Steven, I don't know if you heard him say in the press conference, he, he, he said, Oh, we've got the guy. And, and a lot of these guys say, we've got the guys, we got the personnel, we can do something. But at this point you're fooling yourself. I mean, w- what makes you think that you have the guys when you're getting beat this bad? Well, that's just it. You nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Robert, is, of course, every head coach is going to say, oh, we've got the the personnel to do what we need to do. But the results speak for themselves. I mean, that week after week, you know, there have been a couple of games where the Texans have have played like, you know, the season's on the line. But for the most part, they have just come out as flat as a pancake, especially in the first half. We've already talked about that. And it has just gotten to the point where the, the results, I mean, you look at it. And all these double-digit losses and double-digit deficits that they get in, well, obviously, Romeo, you don't have the personnel that you think you do because if you did, they wouldn't be one in six right now. I do want to say one thing, though. I I do want to say one thing about the coaching. I I, I put up on Twitter, I said, I honestly don't want to hear about the Texans' lack of talent on defense. This is a poorly coached defense that appears to make the same mistakes every single year. And one of our followers, Alan Randall, came back and he said, you know, less talent than coaching, no pass rushers, no speed at linebackers. By the way, no pass rushers. J.J. Watt's still on the team and he can still contribute in that area. One quality guy in the secondary. I get it. I, I, you know, I, and I said to the guy, uh, I respectfully disagree. There's guys out of position. They're always getting beat on on crosses. You know, you see the wide receivers get beat on that play. It seems like we've seen that for ages with the Texans. They don't know how to tackle. They're the worst. They were the worst tackling team in the in the NFL coming into this game. So, Stephen, it, it's a mixture. Um, but yes, talent is the reason they can't be a top ten defense. But I don't know where you are as far as percentage on this coaching versus talent. But coaching is why they just aren't even competent. I think it's a little of both. I mean, I, I have to partially agree with with what Alan is saying. If you especially in the secondary. And in my opinion, the secondary is very under-talented. And regarding the pass rush, I mean, we we say that we have pass rushers. We we say we have J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. You know, he can get sacks. But the truth of the matter is that after seven games, the Texans only have 16 sacks. What is that, about just over two sacks a game? You know, it's not the very bottom of the barrel, but it certainly could be better. So I, I really think it's a little of both, but especially in the secondary, though, I have just felt that there there is more below average talent there, uh, with the exception of a few guys, obviously, like a Bradley Roby and, and players like that, than there are above average talent. And as far as the tackling, I, I think a lot of it is just the, the, the coaching schemes. There's just no reason to have bad tackling in the NFL. Yeah, you're right, and and Allen is right. There is no secondary talent, and except for a Bradley Roby, so he leaves the game during the first drive with a knee injury, and every Texan fan just puts their hand you know to their to their face, and they go, "Oh no," because Philip Gaines, 
takes his place. And as we all know, Gaines is a complete joke. He's not somebody you want on a, on a, on a roster. He is no gain. <laughs> and and Devontae Adams' numbers in this game, 196 yards, two touchdowns. The Packers converted 7 of 12 on third downs, and all seven conversions were completions to guess who? Devontae Adams. Two of those conversions were touchdowns. Steven, I'm going to put the Gaines-Hargraves tandem as maybe the worst cornerback duo in Texans history. Well, you probably wouldn't be far off. And then, of course, you had a scare when uh, Hargraves got shaken up in the second half and had to come out because, I mean, you talk about thin. Then you'd be really thin. Who did they put in? Keon crossing in for a couple of plays. And then, you know, at least Hargraves was able to come back in. But, yeah, you're you're talking not only just under-talented, but you have a lack of depth at that position if those two guys had gone out and stayed out. Let me ask you this. You know, we're talking about coaching versus talent because I think this is a real interesting conversation. You know, Tim Kelly, I, I, I don't really feel like he's doing much to make this offense any better than when Bill O'Brien was calling the plays. Uh, you wanted to see him with the shackles of Bill O'Brien off and what he could do. Uh, you know, it's it's not anything miraculous. I, I don't see enough creativity. I, I still get frustrated that they don't go downfield. Even more frustrated that Deshaun Watson, who's one of the best athletes that we've ever seen at quarterback, there's no plays in, in, in games hardly. I mean, well, you might see it once during a game on average that Deshaun right. has the option to run. And I want to see Deshaun use his athletic ability. Lamar Jackson uses that ability. Uh, you see guys that have this kind of ability around the NFL. The Texans have a crummy running game, but your running game doesn't look bad when Deshaun's running the football. And we saw that with him a couple of years ago. It was happening more often. And now it just doesn't happen at, at all. So I guess, Stephen, if, if you got a good offensive coordinator and a good defensive coordinator with the talent that the Texans have right now, how many wins do you think they have? Could they have, could they have three wins at this point at least? I would say that's probably a realistic goal. And suffice it to say I, that I don't think you are going to see Tim Kelly and Anthony Weaver on next year's Texans coaching staff. I, I really was disappointed. I thought we would see more aggressive defensive style of play yes. with Anthony Weaver. At least I was hoping yes. to. <laughs> we aren't getting that at all. And as far as Tim Kelly, I, you know, I thought, especially after Bill O'Brien was fired, that we might see a little more creativity, you know, maybe not the whole game, but certainly more than what we've seen. I mean, we've seen little flashes here and there, but not enough. Look, you just signed your quarterback to a multi-year contract. You've got to get coaching in there that knows the kind of system that Deshaun is going to thrive in. A coaching scheme is more about fitting your players to fit that scheme rather than fitting your scheme to the players. I, I just, that's what I've always believed. And to me, the Texans coaching has tried to, it's it's like trying to cram a, a round peg in a square hole. I know it's an old cliche, but it's the only thing I can come up with at the moment. It doesn't fit that the Texans need to get a coaching staff. And, and I'm not just talking about the head coach, but I'm talking about offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach, whatever it is, whatever it takes to get these guys, it, find a scheme that works for Deshaun. You're talking about seeing him run more. Well, then find a scheme to put him in where he will run more and do more of that Deshaun magic that the Texans need. And obviously you need to get a running game to complement that. And that comes with getting the kind of players that you need for that. 
But that that really is what it is for me, Robert. It's a, that's what the Texans lack as much as anything else, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, their offensive line coaching, I've always felt, is pathetic. I, I don't feel like they do anywhere near enough with Deshaun. I, you know, it's there's not enough aggression going down the field, using Deshaun as a runner, all this stuff that I feel like, you know, everybody says, and it, it just gets repeated over and over again, and it feels like everybody knows what's going on except the Texans. And, you know, at, after the game was over with, Stephen, I, I, I heard J.J. Watt, and I've got a J.J. Watt stat for you, and it's from his post-game press conference. He was asked nine questions, and he used a total of 72 words to respond. According to my quick math, that's eight words per response. So uh, I don't know what you're thinking there, Stephen, but with the bye week, I wouldn't be surprised if Watt goes to Cal McNair and says, I went out. Trade me. It wouldn't surprise me at all, Robert. And in this day and age, you know, I, I used to be naive and think that, that superstars wouldn't possibly be traded. The, those kind of superstars I'm talking about. Well, you, you don't even have to look far to know that that's not true. When the Houston Oilers traded Earl Campbell, that was I, I think that was a real shocker for me as, as a young guy thinking that Earl would start and finish his career with the Houston Oilers. You know, and then when I'm, I'm switching sports here, but it's it's the only one I can think of at the top of my head from that point, when Wayne Gretzky gets traded from the Edmonton Oilers, that's when I realized, you know what, really nobody's untouchable. And I think J.J. Watt at this point, it, it's, you know, the thing is, if you're going to trade J.J., you got to do it now. You, you wait and you're not going to get the kind of value that you might get for him now. But that poses a question for me to you, Robert. If the Texans traded J.J. right now, during the trade deadline I'm talking about, what do you think they could get for him at this point in his career? Could they get a first-round pick for him? I think Easterby, if if we know uh, anything about Easterby, he wants to get back a third-round pick, and he wants to pay all of J.J. Watt's salary because you know he's learned some things from the Bill O'Brien school. So that's what I'm guessing. is He's like, no, we'll pay his $15 million dollars. And we'll get a third round pick because he's about worth what Clowney's worth. So that's what we're guessing. <laughs> I just like, come on, we we're trusting Jack Easterby to do this stuff. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I could feel the sarcasm dripping from you right there. But you know, that's really the question. But it it is not that far fetched to think at this point, as sad as it would be, and you and I both would be, Robert, along with so many Texans fans. To see J.J. Watt no longer in a Texans uniform, especially if it's someone else's uniform. But the reality is the team is going nowhere. And they do, as you've said, got a number of guys that are making big money that just aren't making big contributions. And in the case of J.J. Watt, if you wait, then you're really not going to get much value for him. So the time to trade, you know, whether it's him and some of these other guys is is now more than ever, in my opinion. But who's worth anything? I mean, Will Fuller might get you something. Uh, Deshaun's get, could get you something. But most of these guys are on awful contracts that are even decent. You know, they're such terrible contracts. I, the idea of like, oh, we could just go out and trade, you know, a lot of these players or whatever. Who wants Bernardrick McKinney's contract or Zach Cunningham's contract? Or, I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, or Merciless's contract. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, even Merciless, I mean, you talk about some of these guys, what team is going to give is going to allow a contract like Whitney Merciless, who hasn't played like the Whitney Merciless that we keep expecting? I mean, most of these teams, and unless they're coached by Bill O'Brien, they aren't stupid. They aren't going to make those kind of deals where we might fall into 
a second round or a first round pick for some of these guys. I mean, none of these guys, you know, even Will Fuller, he's he's in a contract year. So that team, whoever would pick him up, is going to have to hope that they sign him long term. You can get a first round pick or maybe even a second round pick for Will Fuller. I don't think so. Not not in that situation, but maybe he he more than anybody else is is what we'd be talking about. Yeah, and Will Fuller and Deshaun and JJ, those are the guys I want to keep. That's, that's the funny thing. Those are the guys that actually exactly perform and they're worth more than their contract and all of that. Well, you, <laughs> you can know? dump some guy. I mean, you could trade Kenny Stills, but what are you going to get for Kenny Stills? A, a mid round choice at best, really. You know, with especially he, you haven't seen much of him this year. So the, the Texans have a lot of guys that, yes, they could trade, but the chances of them being moved for anything decent, you're not going to get a steal, I'd say, from almost any of these guys. Yeah, GM Deshaun said uh, no, nobody's going anywhere, and I, I don't know if GM Deshaun would feel that way after this particular game, but GM Deshaun said nobody's going anywhere. They're all staying here, and I guess he's the GM because, you know, who knows, with the Texans— it could be the janitor. I mean, I don't, I don't know who's running the show over there. Well, it, it's it's a GM by committee, and I guess they did put Deshaun in there for that day when he made that statement. In fact, he said we we've you know talked about it at practice, and we squashed all these. Uh, think no, you didn't squash him, Deshaun. I hate to tell you, because it is still out there about the Texans being in talks with several teams. I, I saw it was Jason Lockin for just today coming out with something that's saying that the Texans are in talks with several teams involving several players with JJ's name being mentioned and Will Fuller and all these guys that we just talked about. So apparently Deshaun, you you thought you squashed the bug, but the bug is still alive and crawling around because, and, and it's going to until the trade deadline passes and the Texans either do or don't make a move. And you know, what are they going to say? I mean, it, it's going to be, I think it was Randall Cobb who even kind of disagreed with Deshaun a little bit. He said, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going about my business and, Seeing what happens, but yeah, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. And honestly, none of these guys do. The Texans aren't going to—they're they're not going to come out and say that we're t- in talks with trading so and so or anybody. Were you listening to the radio call or the TV call in this game? I was listening to the radio call because we, of course, I live in Austin, as most of the listeners may or may not know. But uh, we didn't get the game up here. We got the uh, we got the Cowboys game instead, which wasn't much better. So yeah, I had to listen to the radio on the uh, the game broadcast. The reason I ask is because about the only thing that made this game fun to watch was Jonathan Vilma's analysis on Fox. And, you know, I'd say about 100% of the time, the national analysts on Sunday afternoon treat the NFL coaches as Christ-like figures. Uh, You'd think Dom Capers or Kubiak or O'Brien had created the earth in the six days prior to the game. But for once, Vilma was going hard at the Texans coaching throughout the game. He didn't do it by name and names, but he got his point across over and over again, Steve. And he also sounded like a guy, and frankly, I'd love to have as the Texans defensive coordinator next year. I mean, he was he was kind of pulling some Romo stuff where he was going, well, that's I don't like the coverage right there before the snap on, on, a, on a play. He's like, that that's not going to end well on a third down. And, and I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know. Vilma, you, you want the coaching job here? I mean, if not the defensive coordinator, I'd even consider making him the head coach with the way the Texans are in the shape that they're in right now. Well, that's good to hear, Robert, because honestly, you know, most of the time, I, I agree with you. The, when the analysts do make negative comments about certain teams, you know, especially when it comes to Houston teams, most of it is just taking pot shots or just talking in general terms. So what you're describing 
it it definitely makes more sense, and it, it's good to hear that somebody other than people like you and me and in the the local media who've been you know pounding this and pounding this for podcast after podcast or column after column in the paper and online, it, it's good to hear someone outside the realm of Houston sports that is saying the things that we've been saying, or at least making good points that, that kind of line up with what we're saying. So here's the deal. I, I want to finish the Texan stuff. Cause you know, that's, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of talking about uh, this game. Cause it's just, it's, it's bad. It's all bad. Everybody knows that, but you and I, we're going to have to get into some Astros offseason talk pretty soon because they're, they're, they got some serious decisions to make. But there was a story that I, I wanted I wanted to mention because there's some still baseball going on and, and there's some stories going on right now. And if anybody missed this one, uh, this came out, I think this was today. I think this was earlier today. Former Astros exec Mike Elias, who's now the Orioles GM. And some of you should remember Mike Elias, big, big player in the Astros uh, a few years ago, he's now being investigated by Major League Baseball for pension fraud. And when he went to the Orioles, some of you might remember, he brought former Astros pitcher Chris Holt with him uh, from the Astros, who was a minor league pitching coach. Well, Elias gave Holt benefits that he wasn't eligible for. And according to the rule, only four coaches can be designated by clubs for the pension plan and licensing money. Elias designated Holt as one of the coaches to be placed on the plan, even though Holt is not listed as a coach for the Orioles, wasn't with the team all year and was not given a uniform number. He reportedly spent much of his time working in their minor league complex. Steven, there are whispers around baseball that Elias was part of the Astros cheating back in 17 and got off scot-free. So maybe this is it's like getting one of Al Capone's guys on tax evasion. I don't know. Boy, and, and it's just that just when you think you hear it all about the, the types of fraud that, that you can do, you know, there's another one you don't hear very often. Pension fraud. Yeah, I did see that story, Robert. And the first thing I got I had to glance at it twice. Wait, did it say pension fraud? And of course, you know, this guy was a Jeff Luno hire and he was there in 2017. You know, he hadn't gone to the Orioles yet. So, yeah, just what the Astros need is another former employee going somewhere else and it find, you know, come to find out that he's doing some illegal stuff over there, too. So it, it's like the trail that never ends with the Astros. Also, and here's a little positive story. Quick shout out to former Astros minor league player of the year and Houston Sports Talk guest, a friend of the show here, Brett Phillips. He came up with that World Series game winning hit against the Dodgers on Saturday night, just an insane play to end game four. And Phillips, you know, he hadn't had an at bat in 17 days or a hit in 29 days. And Steven, it doesn't feel like that long ago. I spoke to Phillips behind a home plate at Minute Maid Park and everybody was talking about him as the Astros future outfielder. Yeah, that's right. And the very first thing that I thought of when I saw, you know, him coming up and and of course, you know, the play that he made is, wow, there's another a former Astro being a World Series hero. And, you know, what is it about baseball, Robert? I think that's one of the reasons I love baseball so much. It just seems that with it more than any other sport, when it comes to the postseason, the, you know, the underdogs are the guys that you don't hear much about, that don't get much playing time. You put them in a situation where they could put their team in a position to win a game or win a series, and they come through. And so Brett Phillips is the latest, you know, the, it's they're never going to forget him there because of what he did. And that was, that's obviously one of the craziest plays. And, and that's just another thing is in the postseason in baseball, 
you see some really crazy plays going on. The Brett Phillips story, you know, it gets better because he's actually a Tampa kid, grew up a big Rays fan. Yep. You can't even imagine what a moment, you know, that was for him. I mean, if anybody missed this part of the story, also Phillips, he ends up with a terrible migraine during the postgame celebration. He couldn't even watch the highlights in the clubhouse for a while. He had a towel over his eyes. His heart rate was over 140. But Stephen, here's the part of the Phillips story that matters to Astros fans. Do you remember the two players who the Astros got from the Brewers and the Brett Phillips package? And just a reminder for everybody, the Astros gave up Josh Hader, Domingo Santana, and Adrian Hauser, along with Phillips to the Brewers. Who did they get back, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, I'm drawing blank on that because it's been a few years. So, Well, the one, the one guy that everybody thinks of, I'm sure, is the Carlos Gomez, Go-Go Gomez. But the other guy in that trade was Michael... Bruce Fires. Fires. Yeah, that's right. Mike Fires was in that deal. When you said Carlos Gomez, it did trick because he he and Fires were part of that trade. I do remember that part. So when you said Gomez, oh, good old Mike Fires. That that's another name that we just can't seem to lose, right? <laughs> we had to bring him up on this deal. <laughs> and it's a sliding moment, sliding door moment in, in, in Astros history because what if the Astros don't make that deal? Because I, I you know, Gomez and Fires, could they have lived without Gomez and Fires? And what if they had a, a Josh Hader in relief in that 17th postseason instead of, say, a Ken Giles? You know, you start looking at, at a couple of different things there, and then there is no Mike Fires being, you know, the rat in the whole Astro scandal. So <laughs> that doesn't happen at all, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it would have to be another whistleblower if the Astros are going to get caught at that point. So, yeah, it's it's always fun to play. What if Mike Fires had never been an Astro? Uh, yeah, maybe he wouldn't have pitched that no hitter for the Astros. But you know what? It's it's kind of all canceled out by the rest of the story. And I'm sure you're devastated, Stephen, that Kenley Jansen blew another World Series game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you think, boy? It just that—that's one of those things where you—you—you you, you may you're glad that you're not a fan of the team that that's happening to. The Astros have certainly had certain players with that with that kind of struggle, but yeah, Kenley Jansen. I, I'll be honest, I'm I've been rooting for the Rays in this World Series, Robert. So you're right. I'm not the least bit devastated by it. Yeah, you and every Astros fan is rooting for the Rays. It's actually the opposite. We're 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 very very happy. That uh, Kenley Jansen, I don't feel sorry for the Dodgers at all about any of that stuff. I mean, we we know with the Dodgers, all the the smack that they've been talking and kind of feel like they're throwing their rocks from the, their glass houses uh, potentially on the whole thing. And the other th this thing that's kind of interesting is, you know, the D Dodgers still favored to win. And I'm going to say the Dodgers are going to probably win this series. However, if that doesn't happen, Dave Roberts is kind of becoming like a Marty Schottenheimer of baseball. You know, it's he, he's finding ways to to uh, screw things up in big postseason moments. It's funny you mentioned that. Somebody was talking to me the other day and we got on the World Series and they were asking me about the Dodgers and how many World Series they've been in the last few years. And I said, well, this would be three out of the last four years. And they said, well, they didn't win the other two, right? I said, no. And they said, well, if they lose this one, are they going to be the Buffalo Bills of baseball? Losing all these World Series. So they, they actually, you're going back a ways. You know, you're going into the 90s when you're talking about the Buffalo Bills losing all those Super Bowls. I said, well, not quite. They, they'd have to lose four. But yeah, they're getting there. They lose three World Series tries. They'd be one more away from being the Buffalo Bills of baseball.
Yeah, Marv Levy is watching with bated breath on this. Maybe he can uh, sort of escape uh, some of his infamy or I don't know, maybe his name's just going to get brought up uh, with all this stuff going on. You and I, though, we've got we to talk some Astros offseason here pretty soon. You want to do that sometime this week or you want to wait till next week to do that? Yeah, we'll, we'll try to do that in the next few days because there are some definite decisions to make. And, uh, you know, obviously George Springer being the lead one, but but there are others that, that could, you know, be affected or by that particular situation as much as anything else of what will happen with the Astros moving forward. Before we close things out, quick reminder, we'd love your feedback, questions, suggestions, topics, whatever you got for us. Message us through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.